Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. Uh, I do want to just quickly say on behalf of Elizabeth and myself and our spouses, Michael and Julie, just thank you so much uh, for all the different uh, forms of appreciation that we were given a couple weeks ago for pastor appreciation. So uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, all the cards were amazing. Uh, I do feel like maybe some of you are getting the wrong impression uh, with me in regards to cats, um, because I did get a f bunch of items that included cats. And uh, anyway... Got one, they got this one t-shirt that was amazing. It was a cat that was a maze, and if you know me, I love mazes, and I feel differently about cats, but anyway, uh, so... Uh, this so thank you for all your uh, appreciation. Uh, this morning, as Jacob mentioned, we are launching into a brand new message series called Thriving Through the Holidays. Uh, and what we know is that over the next two months, we are go our lives are going to be filled with the opportunities uh, for celebrations and for time with family and time with friends and delicious food and delicious drinks and time away from work. And then lots and lots of chances for stress and frustration and hurt and longing for January 2nd. Like all of that happens at the same time. And so over the next uh, couple of months through December and November, December, my hope is that we can really begin to figure out how do we thrive and not just survive these next two months. And if we're going to really do that, it starts by choosing to say what truly is important. And what really matters in our lives and reminding ourselves of what really matters. Because our tendency when we get into the holidays is we kind of become focused on accumulating a lot of stuff. And what we find is that we actually begin accumulating the wrong stuff. We find ourselves accumulating junk and we find ourselves accumulating hurt. And sometimes there's frustration and sometimes there's discontentment. And we, we're looking for a great season and then sometimes we walk away with things we weren't looking for. And so over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to talk about is how do, we, how do we let some of those things go, those things that maybe be holding us down or holding us back or weighing us down from really being able to live out a life that honors God, even through the middle of going through the holiday seasons. How do we survive and actually thrive through this? And so we're going to talk about how do we get over some of the bitterness that maybe grows out of that or a feeling for control or and ultimately come around to the idea that in the Christmas story, what we see and what we can really embrace is that some of the random, randomness that we see in that story around Christmas is truly God working in miraculous ways in our lives. So this morning we're going to start by the idea of how can we let go of some things that are weighing us down. And so the key thought that I want all of us to go away with this morning and kind of our guiding thought is to understand that it's better to have less of what doesn't matter and have more of what does and the problem is, even though we might recognize that it's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does, is that our culture and our world is screaming the opposite. And really, our hearts oftentimes and our minds are actually screaming the opposite. I mean, you go all the way back to the beginning of man. Go all the way back to the story at the beginning, beginning of the Bible where, where God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in this garden and he's like, you've got everything here. Everything you need is here. You have access to everything. Just don't eat from this one tree. There's just one thing you can't have. And then the serpent comes and says, hey, you should focus on the fruit of that one tree that you can't have. And suddenly their eyes are drawn, to, drawn away from everything that they have, and now their focus is on the one thing. And so oftentimes in our lives, we get blessed in so many ways, and we have so much stuff, and we have so many things going on. And we begin to look and begin to see, you know, the thing that I really need is what I don't have. And we find ourselves thinking, I would be more happy, and I would be more fulfilled would be more complete if I could get that other thing. And we would never say it out loud like that. We would never truly say, oh, I just need more stuff. It just oftentimes gets demonstrated. Hey, Ryan, is there a little bit of a buzz? Yep. Oh, we're working on it. 
Okay. So, you know, sometimes you have more of a buzz than you want, and less would be better. You guys are helping me with my illustration. But sometimes, like, we look at life and we're like, you know what, if I had more, that would be better. I've got some, but more would be better. You know, if I have one dollar, two dollars would be better. I mean, if I got one vacation, two vacations would be better. I mean, if I got one car, two cars would be better. If I've got one pair of shoes, 15 pairs of shoes would be better. And with that illustration, you know I'm cutting deep into my own reality. But it's way better in life if we can begin to learn how to understand that having less of what doesn't matter makes it available for us to have more of what does. More is not, oh. Hey, I don't know what you did, and it worked. More is not always better. Actually, when I was in uh, early 20s, I learned this the hard way. Um, I was helping coach a basketball team down in North Salem, and uh, they qualified for the state tournament, and so I got to go along on that trip, and we were playing in Portland for about a whole week, uh, which meant we were eating out at lots of different restaurants and all of this. So about two months prior to the state tournament, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And if you don't know what celiac disease is, basically it meant I could no longer eat anything with gluten. Gluten is basically inside of bread and noodles and crusts and croutons. If it tastes good, it's got gluten in it. Um, and so basically, I was like, you can't eat gluten. And the result is, if you eat gluten, you get severe diarrhea. Yeah, it was a treat. Um, anyway, on day number two of five, I must have eaten something that had gluten in it because my stomach started to turn. And if you don't know this, diarrhea on the sidelines, not good. So I was like, how do I take care of this situation? So I went to the grocery store. I went to, like, I don't know, uh, what do you call those things? Were they pharmacy store? Went to one of those things. I bought some Imodium AD, and I started to read. I'm like, what do I do? This is not good. So I started reading. It says, take two tablets at the first sign of rumbling. Check. I got rumbling, right? So I take two tablets, and then I read the next thing. It says, take one additional tablet with each additional rumblings as they continue. So I'm like, Okay, we got to, you know, we got to get this under control. Now, there is a third instruction that I forgot to read or I didn't read, and it said, do not consume more than four tablets in a 24-hour period. So my stomach's going crazy, and I didn't want to miss any of our practices or shoot-arounds, certainly didn't want to miss a game, certainly didn't want to have any shot on the sideline. So in a matter of 24 hours, I consumed 20 tablets. I'm, I'm happy to say I had no issues for days. In fact, so many days that the next week, towards the end of the following week, I literally blacked out one time because of the severe pain from the massive constipation. Better less than more. Here's the good news. Jesus actually told a better story that didn't include Imodium AD. It was about two brothers. They were excited about their inheritance. Then their result and what he warns them, it's on the screen, it's in your message notes. This is what Jesus says. He says, watch out. Don't take too much Imodium AD. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And this watch out is sort of like when you're standing on the corner and you're getting ready to cross the street and the guy next to you starts to walk across the street but he doesn't see the bus coming and you grab him and you pull him back. You're like, watch out. Be careful, because that thing is going to kill you if you don't pay attention to it. Got to be aware. And everything in our culture tells us the opposite. So what we have to understand is that we are not what we have. We are not what we drive. We are not what we wear. We are not what we own. We are not the title that we possess. We are not what our kids achieve. 
And the lie so often that we buy into is the thing that we don't have is the thing that we need that will allow us to be happy and fulfilled and joyful and feel good about ourselves and feel significant in life. And so what we have to begin to take note of and reality needs to set in is that oftentimes in our lives, the stuff that we have could be robbing us of the life that we want. Maybe you spend all day fixing your house and getting it to be this great place for your family to live. But you're not making any time to actually spend enjoyable moments with your family. And then your stuff might be robbing you of the life that you want. Or maybe you put all this effort into how you look and the clothes that you wear and the vibe that you kind of portray and what you give. You're putting all of your effort there, but you're not putting any effort into what your relationship with Jesus looks like. And your stuff might be robbing you of the life that you want. Maybe you find yourself constantly worrying and, and fretting about your financial future and about security, and, and, but at the same time, you're not giving any of your resources of, of your ability or the resources that God blesses you with to help the church accomplish the task of taking the message of hope and forgiveness to the world, and your stuff might be robbing you of the life that you want. Maybe you're still bitter about the fact that the Sonics left and that the Mariners are still the last team to make the World Series. Maybe you're still frustrated about the fact that the Hawks passed the ball on the one-yard line rather than running it in Super Bowl 49. Your stuff might be robbing you. I actually read an amazing article that they did the right thing, by the way. You should read it. They, they, anyway. Your stuff might be robbing you of the life that you want. And so that rather than beating ourselves up and saying, oh, I've messed up and I've messed up my life and I'm not doing it right and I've defeated myself and I've robbed myself. Okay, put it in the past. And so instead of feeling that way, let's aim to thrive through the holidays and begin to adjust our thinking and embrace a new mindset. And begin to understand and recognize, recognizing and allowing ourselves that one handful living can be enough. I mean, think about it this way. If you have both of your hands full, if somebody gives you enough and you have both of your hands full, you can't do anything more. Like, I can't help anyone else if both of my hands are full. I can't shake your hand. I can fist bump, but that's it. I can fist bump, but I can't receive anymore. I can't hold it. My hands are full. And when we live in such a way that both of our hands are constantly full, we prevent ourselves from living, but if we can learn to live with one handful, it frees up our other hand to be able to be of service to others, to receive more, to be actually able to do something. I actually had a college buddy who has this incredible story where two handfuls were just way too much. My buddy lived in Spokane. It was a hot summer day, and he decided he was going to ride his bike to 7-Eleven. He's like 17. He's like, I'm going to ride my bike to 7-Eleven. I'm craving a Slurpee. It is so hot. I need a Slurpee. So he rides his bike to 7-Eleven, and he gets in the store, and he starts to get his first Slurpee, and he's like, you know what? One Slurpee is not enough. I need two Slurpees. So he gets his second Slurpee, and he fills it up. And he's got his two Slurpees. He's like, well, I don't want to drink the Slurpees here in 7-Eleven. I'm going to go home. I'm pretty good at riding my bike with no hands. So he climbs onto his bike with both Slurpees in his hands, and he starts riding home. Some of you are like, I know where this is going. But anyway, so he's on this trip. He's on his way home. He's riding down the sidewalk, and he starts to look ahead, and he begins to see, he sees this telephone pole that's straight ahead of him. And he's holding both of his Slurpees, and he's trying to figure out how to break, and he can't seem to avoid the pole. And all of a sudden, he just runs straight into the pole. He doesn't want to lose his Slurpees. He goes flying off his seat, and then he catches himself in a way that no guy ever wants to catch themselves. Lands on the neck of the, the bike, falls into the road. Cars are like swerving around him. He can't even move. Paramedics have to show up. Slurpees gone. Now, Slurpees are everywhere. 
all because he couldn't recognize two hands is too much. And eventually he ends up getting shipped off to the hospital. I would love to tell you how the end of the story goes, but again, one handful is enough because this story gets even crazier. But in our lives and in the reality of Slurpees, one handful is enough. One Slurpee is plenty. Two Slurpees lead to all sorts of trouble. There's a guy by the name of Solomon who said it this way. He said, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Listen, it's not about having things. It's not about having stuff in our lives. It's not even about the fact that wealth is bad or wealth is wrong. Actually, God can do amazing things through your life if you handle your wealth correctly. But there's a point in our life where we have all that we need and where we pursue things so far that we want more satisfaction that ultimately it just begins to be an issue of heartache and headache and toil and chasing after the wind and going after things that we will never pursue. So if we can begin to adopt and begin to develop this idea that, that one handful is enough and that two is just a setup for failure, I want to give you three ideas, three action steps that you and I can begin to take that will move us in the right direction, that as the holiday pressures begin to grow, as we begin to feel like we need to buy more and do more and get to more things, three things that can kind of help set us up for success. And the first one is this, is just to begin to clear out the extra. Start looking at all that you have and start looking at all that you do and all the things on your calendar and begin to say, how can I clear out the extra? How can I begin to get rid of all of the extra I have as if my life depended on it? Because for some of us, our life might actually depend on it, the life that you want. Because again, life doesn't consist in the abundance of the, the items in our drawer or in our closet or what we're storing in our attic or how many parties we get invited to, or how many white elephant exchanges we make sure we're included in. Sometimes we just have to begin to clear out the extra and recognize that it's more than just all of those things. There was a gentleman in, in the New Testament. In many ways, a lot of us could probably relate to him. Uh, he was known as the rich young ruler. Lots of stuff. He had lots of stuff. And, and Jesus actually says something to him that he doesn't say to anybody else. Jesus actually approaches him and says, listen, you need to do something with your stuff. Because the guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what do I do to make sure that I have spiritual life? How do I get my spiritual life correct? How do I make sure that I'm in a right relationship with God? And Jesus gives him a couple answers and says he can do some things. And then the guy's like, ah, what else do I need to do? And Jesus says, listen, you need to go sell your stuff. You need to sell your stuff, and you need to take the money that you have, and you need to get it, give it to the poor, because then your treasures will be stored in heaven rather than storing them here on earth. Jesus is basically saying, listen, you'll have less of the stuff that doesn't matter, and you'll have more of what really does matter. Now, unfortunately for this guy, as he heard this story, and as Jesus relayed what he needed to do, the response by the young ruler is this. It says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Again, what we have to understand, it's not wrong to have stuff, and it's not wrong to have nice stuff. In fact, sometimes God blesses us in so much, in amazing ways that we have way more than we deserve. And God is a generous God. The problem becomes when our stuff, when the stuff in our life begins to define who we are. And we begin to buy into the belief that if we could just have a little more stuff, or a little different stuff, or a little newer stuff, that then we would feel fulfilled and then we would be happy and we find ourselves pursuing items believing that we'll, there'll be more meaning and more power and we're trying to fill this void 
that ultimately is a spiritual void in our life, that it can only be filled, can only be pursued or ultimately remedied by the goodness of God and by the grace of God in our lives. So part of that is we have to begin to clear out the extra. And oftentimes there's two reasons why we don't clear out the extra. The first reason we don't do it and why we find ourselves with way too many dishes and why we have a pile of VHS tapes and why we still own those pants that only MC Hammer ever wore and made look good. First one is fear. We're afraid. We're afraid that we might need it in the future. And if you're here with that person, don't nudge them. They already know. But sometimes we just find ourselves afraid that if I get rid of this, if I don't have it, what's going to happen down the road? And we try and use an argument that's really hard to, to fight against or argue against. We say things like, well, what if my kids want it someday? They'll tell you. What, 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 I don't want to be wasteful. I want to be a good steward. And so we use all of these things, but really what it is, it's a, it's a scarcity mentality. Well, well, there won't be more. Well, what, what if God doesn't provide? And so what happens is we take this lack of faith for what God might do in the future, and we cover it up with fear, and then we disguise it by trying to say that we're prepared. And what we're really saying is, I'm not sure if I get rid of these things, if I begin to clear out, if God will take care of me in the future. So here's a rule I'm trying to introduce in my life. I'm trying to get better at this, but basically what I'm trying to say is that when I get something, I'm going to give something away. So when I get a new shirt, I'm going to try and give that shirt away. Or if I get a new sweater, which I don't wear sweaters, but if I ever got a new sweater, I, would, I don't have any sweaters. I would just give that one back away. <laughs> if I ever get shoes, I'm going to give away a pair of shoes. It's going to force me to look at what I have and only hold on to those things that fit. So if I've got a pair of jeans that are like, someday I'm going to get back to that size. Probably not. Give them away. Or go buy a new pair if I ever get there again. If something is worn out or if I haven't worn something for over a year, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to get rid of those things in my life. I'm going to release myself from the pressure of having to manage lots of things and sort lot of things and organize lots of things and buy myself a vacuum sealer so I can put it away, whatever. And out of fear, we're not sure that we'll be provided for down the road. Another reason that we don't give things away or throw things away or clear things out is a sentimental reason. I mean, this was the very first blue ribbon I ever won at the gunny sack race at the county fair. Gotta hold on to that. Or here's the very first picture that my child drew. And here's the very first picture that she drew in third grade. And here's the 17th picture that she drew in the fifth grade. In fact, here's her report card. Oh, and here, this, this is the very first pair of pull-ups that Jimmy didn't have an accident in. <laughs> very proud of him. Could have gone with the opposite illustration there. Maybe you've read the book. Uh, it's called The Magic or The, the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Uh, it's written by this gal named Marie Kondo. Um, if you've ever read it, there's parts of this book. You read it, and you're like, she is cuckoo. And then there's other parts that you're like, this is pretty helpful. But she talks about when you're dealing with trying to clear out things that have sentimental reason, she says, take that thing, thank it for the purpose that it's served in your life, the way that it's blessed you, and then either get rid of it by throwing it away or bless somebody else with it. So we take that blue ribbon and we say, God, thank you so much that you allowed me to display my athletic prowess in the gunny sack relay that's confirmed by this blue ribbon. It's made me the man that I am today, and I'm so much stronger, and now I'm going to lay it with respect in the garbage can. <laughs> and then if the garbage man needs a blue ribbon in his life, he can claim it, 
or it can just go away and I can move on. Or if there's just some item that still has life left in it, drop it off at Value Village, drop it off at Goodwill, post it on Facebook for your, your friend, whatever. Just decide, I'm not going to let my stuff weigh me down. I'm going to live with the idea that one handful is enough and I'm going to clear out the extra. And then the second step is this, is just buy less stuff. Buy less stuff. And I think if we were all to sit down around coffee and we're like, yeah, should I buy less stuff? We'd all be like, that's a good idea. And I, I spend too much money. And then we get into November and December and we lose our minds. And then in January, we're kicking ourselves. We're like, oh. Can you imagine this idea of buying less stuff? If we let this sink in before Black Friday and before Cyber Monday and then before Small Business Thursday and then before the post-Christmas clearance sales, like if we could get into this now and just buy less stuff, you know that 62% of people admit shopping in order to cheer themselves up when they feel down? So essentially, we feel bad about ourselves, so we go buy more stuff and create more financial struggle. And we just turn buying into entertainment. And we just want something new, and we want something clean, and we just have this, it feels powerful to go buy something that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. And for some reason, it gives us this high, and we feel better about ourselves. So what we have to do is we have to begin to train ourselves that the next purchase is not going to help us feel fulfilled or feel completed or feel satisfied. There's this amazing prayer that Solomon prayed in Psalm 119. He says this, Cause my heart to bow before your words of wisdom and not to the wealth of this world. Help me turn my eyes away from illusion. Uh, help me turn my eyes away from illusion so that I pursue only that which is true. This is a prayer that has to become true in my life. And it's likely a prayer that needs to become true in your life. God, would you help me turn my eyes away from the illusion that more stuff will be better? And instead, would you help me just pursue what is true? Another version says, God, help me turn my eyes away from the meaningless things. And the goal is to get to a place where I'm not what I own. I'm not what I have, but instead to say, I am who I am because of God's fullness in my life and God's goodness in my life and the things that God is doing through me. And that the things that I have don't define me. What defines me is who Jesus defines me to be. And so maybe in your life, instead of spending money on more stuff, you start spending your dollars on experience with the people that you care about and the people that you want to grow in relationship with. And maybe you're like, well, I, don't, I, I thought we were going to spend less. Okay, go to the park. Go to the zoo. Take a ferry ride. Go to the museum. Put your credit card in the glove box. Walk through the mall. So you don't buy more stuff. And it's not about just saying that buying is bad. It's about saying, be, begin to purchase with intentionality. So let me give you a couple tools if you're going to buy less stuff and to buy with intentionality. The first thing is this. Simply buy what you have money to purchase. If you don't have the dollars for it, don't buy it. One of the most profitable industries in the world today is loaning money to people to buy items that they can't afford and then charging all kinds of interest on that. My wife Julie and I, we have worked for the past five years like crazy to get out of all of the debt that we had built up in our lives. It was killing us. The interest was killing us. And after five years of making a lot of really hard, intentional decisions, we're now at a place where the debt that we have is our house. 
Can I just tell you the relief that that is, has caused in our life and the, and the freedom that that has opened up? And it made, took some really difficult decisions, and one of the really difficult decisions we had to make in that is we have to buy less stuff. Stop spending money. And that leads us to the second way, and a great way to, to kind of spend less money is to create a cooling off period for yourself before you buy something. So essentially, if there's an item that you want to buy, if there's something that you want to purchase, look at the dollar amount, and then wait that many hours before you actually purchase it. So here you go. You want to buy a $24 belt? Not a problem. Just wait 24 hours before you look at it, find it. You're like, I want that belt. It's 24 bucks. I'm going to wait 24 hours because maybe you'll decide you need a brown one instead of a black one in 24 hours. You want a $700 television? 700 hours. And you might say, but what if it's not on sale anymore? Did you know that they just keep bringing back sales? Like, it might be on sale today, and in 29 days, if you say, okay, I'm going to take my 700 bucks, I've got 700 bucks, because Brent said don't buy things I can't afford, I got my $700, and then I'm going to wait 29 days or 700 hours, and then I'm going to buy a TV, you might get a better TV with better technology at a cheaper price. Or you might wait all that time, and you might decide, you know what, I think that's how I'm going to spend my money. Or you might say, you know what, there's something better I could spend my money on. I'm not telling you whether to buy a TV or not. But if you and I begin to say, okay, for every hour I'm going to wait, or for every dollar I'm going to wait an hour, it allows us to avoid things with regret. Now maybe you're thinking, does that mean I have to wait like three and a half hours before I buy a jar of mayonnaise? <laughs> if you've already planned to go grocery shopping and you know you needed mayonnaise, you're good to go. Okay, so don't be like, well, we wanted ketchup, but Brent said... Just plan ahead for crying out loud. Don't blame me. But if we want to thrive through the holidays, if we want to really begin to find life and experience life to the full, a huge key is to buy less and let one hand full living be enough. And then the last step, if you and I are going to thrive through the holidays, and then really if it's going to change our heart and line our hearts up with God, is we have to be willing to take the giving challenge. And if you've been around Silver Creek, you've heard this before, and, and I'm, I, I'm kind of presenting this backwards. I should first give you all of the reasons why you should take the giving challenge and really motivate you to do it, but I, I just want you to look at it and see it. Because really, the giving challenge is a way for each of us to learn how to give back financially to God because we recognize that He is blessed and He has provided for us. Recognizing that it's God that has allowed you to have the job that you have, to make the money that you have, to collect the income that He blesses you with. And that all of the skills that you have and the abilities to earn that paycheck ultimately comes from God. And the giving challenge is a way for you to develop the habit of saying, God, I am grateful for how you've blessed me. And God, not only am I grateful for how you've blessed me, I'm going to trust that you're going to continue to provide for me down the road. And recognizing that the way that God established for us to give back to him is by giving to the local church. And I want to make it clear, every time I talk about this, we are not talking about you giving back to the local church because we are needing your money. What we are needing and what we are hoping for you is that you will be able to line your heart up with the heart of God and recognize how he's blessed you and how he wants to see you trust him with your future. So here's how the giving challenge works. Over the next three months, if you've never given to Silver Creek, give one time in the next three months. Just give one time. The amount doesn't matter. It could be big, it could be medium, it could be small. I'm not even going to define what that looks like. For you, pick an amount. Pick the timing that works for you, and then one time over the next three months, give. 
And if God doesn't provide for you, and if God doesn't bless for you, bless you, and if God doesn't make himself more known to you through that process, you can let me know, you can let one of our board members know, and as a money-back guarantee, we'll give you all your money back. There's no risk. Just give one time over the next three months. Maybe you've already taken that step. Then the next option is this. Over the next three months, give consistently. Again, the amount doesn't matter. It could be big, it could be medium, small, whatever. You pick the amount. You pick the timing. It could be weekly. It could be monthly. It could be every time you get paid. You choose. You give the amount. You choose the amount. You choose the timing. And just give consistently over the next three months. And if God doesn't bless, and if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't make himself more known to you, let us know, and we will again give you all your money back. And you've taken that step, then the next step is over the next three months, begin to give systematically which basically means you're going to determine a percentage in your life. You're going to pick that percentage. You get to set it. We're convinced that God says that 10% is the goal, 10% is the mark. And if you've already started to give a percentage, just keep moving towards that 10%. But the goal is over the next three months, anytime you get paid, then you give that percentage. And you get to set it. We're just saying, choose a percentage and then systematically give out of how God blesses you. And here's where God is so amazing, is that God recognized that there were going to be people like me that aren't very smart that are going to want to do this. And so God said 10%, because can you imagine if he had said it's 13.5%? <laughs> that would mean that every time God gives, blesses you and you get your paycheck, now you got to go, uh, times 13.5. So literally, you make a dollar, you give a dime. Make $10, you give a dollar. You can get really complicated. If you make $150, you give $15. So you just move it over one. It's amazing. God was so kind to us. But the guarantee is the same. If you follow that, if you begin to give systematically, and God doesn't bless, and God doesn't provide, if God doesn't make himself more known to you, let us know, and we will give you all your money back. If you made that step, the last one to consider, and really this is the most difficult one, is that over the next three months, you begin to give generously above 10%. So essentially, you could give to Silver Creek. You could give something outside of Silver Creek. Essentially, you're saying, God, if you tap me on the shoulder and say, this one's mine, I'm in. And here's why this is tough, is it requires the faith to begin to say, God, I will listen and I will respond to opportunities I wasn't even counting or planning on giving to. Now, the board hasn't authorized me to give a money-back guarantee on money you give outside of Silver Creek. I see a couple board members like, what are you doing? Um, but within the church, if you give, and again, God doesn't bless, and God doesn't provide, and God doesn't make himself more known to you. Money back guarantee. And the reason why we have to figure this out, and the reason why we can lean into the giving challenge is because of what God wants to do in our hearts and because of how God wants to work in our relationship with him. There was a young pastor that had a letter that was sent to him, some very direct but very powerful words. It said this. It said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of, of the life that is truly life. You know, it's easy for us to read that and think, well, I'm not rich. Okay, that's for the rich people. Here's the deal. If you are living in this area, if you are in this room, it means that you and I have won the location lottery. Where we live and what is available to us puts us in the top 40% of the world's population. 
If you have a car or you have access to a car, it puts you in the top 7% of the world's population. If you've ever ordered a pizza by touching a screen that was in your hand and then that pizza was delivered to where you were at, you are crazy rich. And so the warning is, don't become arrogant. Don't become so confident in what you have. Don't put all of your hope in your wealth and in your ability to provide and the ways that you can do things for yourself. And so that what he's saying is, listen, be generous and give back. Communicate to God that I am putting my hope in you. I'm putting my trust in you. God, ultimately, I'm putting my future in your hands. I'm going to put my treasures in things that are eternal, that make an investment in things that will last forever, not just in a short time. And so when you and I begin to make these decisions to give back and begin to truly embrace this idea of one handful living is enough and that it's not, we don't, having more isn't always better. And sometimes having more prevents us from having what truly matters, but ultimately beginning to recognize that if we embrace these in our life, it will help our life be better and it will help us thrive through the holidays. Every week we put these green connect cards in your program just challenge you to think through what it is that you need to do based on what you've heard this morning. Every week as you look at these things, what's your next step based on what you've heard this morning? Maybe your next step is to go home and really evaluate your checkbook. Begin to see if you are accumulating things on earth or if you're making an investment in eternity. Maybe your next step is to determine the first one handful living concept that you'll begin applying to your life. Maybe it's your clothes, maybe it's your calendar, whatever it would be. Where, it is, where is it? Maybe your next step is to respond to the giving challenge wherever you're at and allow God to grow your faith. And maybe your next step is to plan to be at Silver Creek as much as possible for the remainder of our series, Thriving Through the Holidays. Whatever it is, I just again encourage you and challenge you to respond to what God is saying to you this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for all the ways that you bless us. God, would you help us just to look at our life and see the abundance that we have recognize all that you've done for us, but also begin to recognize that sometimes that stuff and that abundance just gets in the way. Help us to begin to take whatever steps are necessary to both thrive through these next couple of months, but also really begin to live a life that's free of the burden of stuff and things and accumulation. Help us to listen to you. Help us to respond to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.